Welcome to Round Trip Death and Merry Christmas. Today we're going to hear from a woman named Kat. Because of her near-death experience, she went from atheist to Christian. It's a fascinating story. But before we do, I'd like to ask a small favor. If you appreciate this show and its message, please click over to roundtripdeath.com. In the upper right corner of the homepage, you'll see a little donate button. If you'd like to help us keep the lights on for another season, click there and be generous. Thank you in advance, and now let's hear from Kat. One of the things that I get asked all the time is, don't all the near-death experiences start sounding the same? Aren't they all just people go through a tunnel, head to the light, and everything is bliss? And my answer to that is absolutely not. Every single one is completely different, including the one that we're going to hear from Kat Dunkel today. Good morning, Kat. Good morning. Good morning. And before we start, I love the title of your book. It's called, Is It Safe to Die? Right, right. (laughs) Kind of odd, isn't it? (laughs) No, I think it's great. Uh, It just, it makes me interested. So, and we'll talk about that as we go, but give us a little bit of information about you. You know, where, where are you from? Tell us about Kat. Well, Eric, I'm from all over the country. I grew up, uh, my father worked for the Department of Agriculture and Government, so he was transferred every two years. And as a kid, that's kind of hard because you're always going to a different school. Uh, the curriculum was always different, so I kind of grew up very insecure. I don't know if you, maybe the audience, somebody has ever had to go into a new school where all the kids are staring at you and <laughs> and you're kind of an oddity and, and you know, kids don't like that. I I used to drive my son to school and they'd say, mom, don't do anything with your hair. <laughs> it was like, you know, you're very self-conscious. And so growing up, uh, we we moved all over the country every two years. So uh, that just, you know, was very, very difficult childhood. Also, I, my father uh, drank an awful lot. I was an alcoholic. Uh, my mother was uh, abused by him. And so were uh, my brothers and my sister and I. And uh so uh, as a child, I was, that was all normal to me. But as I got older, I understood we were pretty dysfunctional. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. That's rough. Did you, uh, on the lighter side, did you have any favorite places that you lived? No, I have one I very, disliked very much. And that was in Kansas where, you know, we, I, I actually liked the state of Washington because I love being outside and even in the rain, I loved it. And uh, it's a, you know, pretty moderate climate actually. So even in the rain, it wouldn't be that cold, but uh, yeah, I I think Washington with the water, the lakes and the mountains and the trees and to be outside was always wonderful. Then we moved from that to Kansas and in the summertime and got off the airplane, it was 110, I think. And the humidity was (laughs) the same. It was horrible. You know, I thought, well, maybe that's the heat from the airplane or something something but it just got worse and uh and there were chiggers in the grass you couldn't walk in the grass i don't know maybe the audience doesn't know what a chigger is but it's a little bug that's in the grass and it was awful um they didn't have any lakes and water that i was used to so i didn't like that (laughs) because of the contrast and just so you know we have a lot of listeners in kansas yeah we have a couple of really big pockets of listeners in kansas so shout out to our kansas um Listeners, and and not everybody hates it there, I'm sure. 
Well, we're big Kansas City Chief fans. I'll tell you that. So, oh, okay. <laughs> love Mahomes. He's a great guy, and uh, no, and I have a very dear friend that's from Kansas and absolutely loves it. So, my experience was just so different from what I was used to. I think uh, so. It wasn't good. <laughs> and now you're more of a snowbird living in Washington, but winters in the desert. That's right. Yes, the Southern California desert. It's beautiful. Okay. We're fortunate to be able to do that for sure. <laughs> Well, before we talk all about your near-death experience, uh, tease it a little bit with how did you come up with this title for your book? <laughs> well, I, I wrote a book a long time ago, uh, the same, actually, this is a rewrite uh, with a, a professional editor this time and and being able to really tell some things that I was fearful of telling in the first book. But um, I just, it just happened. It was something I put in my first book and um and sometimes I feel for some people it isn't real safe to die. So um, because of my experience. So I didn't really know how I came up with it. <laughs> so there isn't a simple answer to the question then. Is it safe right. to die? Right. Oh, okay. You're making me a little bit nervous. Well, let's <laughs> let's get into it. Let's go back in time. You grew up in this dysfunctional family. Um marital problems, et cetera. What led up to your near death? Being from that family, I I wanted out desperately and jumped into a very bad marriage uh, to an alcoholic. Of course, that seems to happen, I think, with a lot of people that they tend to follow what they're brought up with. And uh, had two children. By the time I was 21, ended up with a nervous breakdown and horrible circumstances. And uh, during that time, I had lost all faith in God I, during my teen years and, and in this family. I tried desperately to believe in God, but I just couldn't. I, nothing, nobody could really give me any answers that made sense to me. It was just, just have faith. Well, how do you have, how do you just have faith? I had no idea. And uh, it was, show me how, how do I get faithful? Well, uh, and so I went to every church I could possibly imagine anybody. I was, I was just right for some cult to pick me up because thankfully that didn't happen but um uh it was just a, a bad time i just did not believe in god i'd say i was an agnostic because i wanted very much to believe in god but just didn't so where i was in these circumstances in kansas city uh i one time my husband was passed out in the bedroom my two sons were asleep little babies and i walked out in the living room looked up at the sky and it was so beautiful and i i remember saying just screaming out god if you're really there you just give me one year to know what it's like to really feel loved because uh, i had never felt that feeling of of being loved or or loving someone else and uh, just one year and then just devastate me take everything away kill me i don't care i just want one year out of life and i walked away because i knew that wouldn't happen but uh, it wasn't long after that, I packed my sons up into an old beat up car. We left Kansas City and moved to Seattle where I had some family, but um, it, it, that didn't turn out well. And I ended up in government housing um, with no food, no money, no uh, uh, furniture. The boys and I would lay the sleeping bags on the floor. There was a gas deal that uh, heated our unit had a little pilot light down and we'd pretend that's our campfire and we were camping and we'd run through the house because he couldn't break anything or and, and uh, they loved it we'd go to the library and get books and uh you know play down by the lake and just life was pretty good just being out of the circumstances that i had been in first time in my life i was on my own making my own decisions 
So that was all fine. And I had got a job and we finally put together a little home there and uh, life was good. But a lady I worked for decided one day that uh, I uh, she had just met the man that I should marry. And <laughs> I wasn't really receptive to that for sure. Um, but I got this phone call from this man named Don and he he was so, I don't know, kind or something I, I was just drawn to. And uh, 28 days after that phone call, we were married <laughs> by uh, a justice of the peace, William R. Beamer in, in Reno, Nevada. And uh, he was uh, incredible, the most handsome man that I'd ever known in my life and uh, had a good job. He had his own car, his own house that he was buying. It was just a, a great, he loved my sons. What more could you ask for in life? And um, and for the first year that we were married, uh, it was incredible. I, I would open up the closet and there'd be china and crystal and things that I never even dreamt of before. I loved my life. Uh, it was just incredible. So you got that year that you wanted of feeling loved, right? Yes. yes. How old were you at that time? 20, 23 Okay, still very young. Very young. <laughs> very young. You know, I married when I was 17 and had my first child at 18. And, uh, you know, the next one at 19, almost 20. And, uh, yeah, so that all happened in a very short time. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we exactly 28 days. We were married uh, in February 9th, on February 9th. So, it was exactly one year we went out uh, to dinner and celebrated our wonderful anniversary. And Don had bought a tavern a few, about six months prior to that with a friend of his. He wanted to have his own business. He was in real estate before, he had a solid job. And I was very leery of this because of the alcohol issues in my family. And um, But I knew it was his dream and I couldn't stop that. Uh, but I didn't like it. And uh, anyway, he said, well, let's just stop by and see how the business is going. And I, I was upset about that, but I didn't say anything. And so we stopped by the tavern and walked in and everybody was gathering around him, congratulating him on his business. And there was a barmaid there that certainly was obvious. She was just flirting with Dawn, you know, and I was looking over there and he'd be fixing her necklace. And then she was flicking her hair at her, at him and just, you know, signs. I kept getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And pretty soon I just got up and ran out the door and just started running because that's what I always did when I got backed into a corner was just run. And, and uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Uh, we had our first very, very bad argument, and it had been exactly one year. After that, my father dropped dead of a heart attack. The business that we had was going bankrupt, and my son, Mark, my middle son, Mark, uh, uh, was hit by a car and killed. Uh, it was a, a terrible, terrible thing, and and uh, just absolutely broke me into. Um, so I uh, became very unable to, to talk to people or smile or do anything because I felt so horribly guilty and moms aren't supposed to let their children die. And, and uh, I, uh, it, I just couldn't recover at all from that. 
Uh, and Don one night told me, you have to get out of the house. We have to move on. And I would scream at him, you know, don't tell me to move on. I'll never move on. And I, I couldn't smile. I couldn't do anything. as I the horrible guilt that I had and, and uh, losing Mark. I just would never get over. And so he insisted uh, that we go out. And so we were kind of arguing with each other and got out the door and, and uh arguing a little harder and got into the car by then I'm pretty much yelling at him he started driving down the street and I'm you know he, he says you just got to move on and I just came across the seats with my hands just smashing into his face and angry just taking all my pain and frustration out on him and and he uh took his arm and just swung at me wildly he was trying to drive the car and pulling it over to the side of the road, swung his arm over and hit me really hard in the side and the back. And I fell over to my side of the car and uh, was so stunned. And I just told him, take me home, take me home. And he did. And I did what I always did. I grabbed the car keys and stuck out the door and took off in the car because I was so frustrated and angry. And I knew that our marriage would never work out. I was never good enough for him and all these horrible things going through my head. And we went, uh, I was driving down the road. I felt this intense pain inside of me. I thought, well, is my heart breaking or is there something wrong with me or what? And I pulled over and got out of the car. It was pouring down rain and cars were going by and honking and splashing me. And and uh, I was just doubled over in pain. And I thought, I've, I've got to get home. I've got to get home. And I got in behind the wheel of the car and I don't even know how I got home. But by the time I did, my clothes were all undone and I was soaking wet from the rain and I was barely crawling up the driveway to the door. And Don was standing there again, of course, so furious with me. And um, I, I told him, I said, I, I tried to get by him. I said, I need to call an ambulance. There's something really wrong with me. And so he softened at that point and said, you know, well, if you're that bad, I'll, I'll drive you to the hospital, which he did. And uh, he did not. We're talking back in the late 60s and they didn't have MRIs and CAT scans and the equipment to diagnose anything at that point. Uh, so when we got there, they uh, noticed a bruise on my back and asked me how I got the bruise. And I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want them to think Don was a wife beater. You know, I had. I'd come at him and he was just defending himself from an out of control person. And, um, but so I, I told him, I didn't know, but they said, we, well, you, you seem to have some kind of massive internal bleeding because your blood pressure is dropping and this is the blood tests were showing something. And, uh, you, we have to take you into surgery. We have to find out why. And, uh, so that happened so fast. I was like, well, who are you? And, uh, you know, I don't know anything about you. I was fearful. And, uh, but I didn't have much time and uh, Don leaned over the gurney and kissed me goodbye and told me that he loved me. And, and uh, so into surgery we went and I remember them putting the mask over my face and thinking I should I should be going under. And I could see the doctors around me. I could see everything. Then all of a sudden it just got black, but I was still awake. And I just uh, it was like everything had just blacked out. And I couldn't breathe. And I remember the horrible panic as my my arms were, were secured because of the surgery and I couldn't 
grabbed the mask off, but it, it was like being drowned. I was underwater and desperately trying to breathe and and uh, could not. And so I, when I did kind of try to breathe in, uh, nothing would happen. This horrible panic. I just can't tell you how horrible that was. And then I just kind of came out of that darkness into a, a space, like a, a tunnel somewhat. And uh, I, I I, I could. I didn't have to breathe anymore. The panic was still there, but I. I did. I realized I don't have to breathe. I'm okay. I don't need to breathe. And then I started moving in this tunnel, and and it was odd. My feeling was that what's happening? What's happening? And I saw down below me that Don and and my other two sons were were around a lamp pole, and they were crying because I was dead. And I was trying to tell them, no, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm just fine. I'm okay. And, and then this feeling came, they're going to be just fine. And I moved on and I saw four people off to the left and they were dressed in street clothes, normal people, uh, weren't angels or anything, but they had these very concerned looks on their faces. So I'm thinking after, you know, looking into near-death experiences, possibly could have been just relatives or somebody that knew me, but I, I didn't recognize them. Uh, and I passed by them. All I can remember is that, why are they still concerned? Why are they looking at me like that? And and then as I moved on through this tunnel, it wasn't definitely like a, a tunnel. I I felt this, or this loud, horrible noise, like a freight train just right through my, my head. And then this pulling and burning of a rope through the middle of me, like a hundred million miles an hour. And the thought came to me, there is no God. And uh, all of a sudden that all that happened, the noise and the pulling through the middle and it stopped. And I knew, I knew that God existed. I knew that as much as I know that my hand is in front of my face right now, or that I'm looking at you, nobody would be able to come in this room and say that hand isn't there, or that man isn't there that you're talking with. Uh, nobody could convince me of that because I know I'm seeing that. So that's how much I knew that I knew that I knew God does exist. And it was this incredible feeling of, of just this overwhelming peace and happiness and euphoria or anything word that you could possibly use right now so i mean it, it was very strange very strange yeah so just so i understand so you went from this scary train noise and rope around you was there some kind of a transition and then all of a sudden you knew about god how fill in some detail there yeah, it just it happened with the loud noise and the pulling through the middle of me. And I'm thinking it was almost as if God was pulling out of me all of the hatred and the uh, anger and all of the things that were, were driving me. It's almost like it was being cleansed of something. And, and, and then it just stopped. And then I felt this overwhelming peace, uh, this overwhelming euphoria, just uh, the most incredible feeling I've ever had. I couldn't explain it because there aren't words to explain that. I mean, you could, the Bible talks about the peace that passes all understanding. Well, it definitely was that. I, I, I didn't understand it. I couldn't explain it, but it was incredible. And uh, then that same noise came and the same pulling through the middle of me and a thought came to me, there is no heaven. And this stopped again. And I saw this brilliance just like a sunburst brilliance 
and I was moving towards it. And I knew that I was going to heaven and I, the excitement, uh, you know, it was like I could leave my husband, who I adored, my children, who I would die for in a second. I would leave them to go and stay in this place, to be where I'm at right now, and to go into heaven. I, I would leave them like that. That was how strong this was. And uh, and then it just that's, that just stopped, and the floor fell out from beneath me, and I fell into what I know was hell. I felt the total separation from anything or anyone, and especially God. And I was screaming. I, I felt the pain of burning, but no flames because that would have given light. This was the blackest black of anything. It was total nothingness. I, I, I feel like it's the black hole in space, maybe. I don't know. But I was falling into this, and I was feeling this pain, and I was hearing the screams of others. I... I <laughs> I knew that I knew that I knew that no one could save me from this place, that I was going to fall and burn. And I knew that I had sent myself there. I didn't blame God. You know, why did you let this happen to me or anything? I knew that I had caused this. I had blasphemed God. I had, when Mark died, then people tried to tell me about Jesus or God. I would scream at them. I'll tell you about your Jesus. Your Jesus kills little children. And I would be so angry. And uh, and so, you know, I knew, and I used to call God Ralph. I used to joke about it. And, and uh, I was just... Uh, all these horrible things that I turned against God and, and wanted no part of anything to do with God. So uh, I was falling into this horror, knowing it would be for eternity, that nobody even knew I existed. God didn't know I existed. Nobody knew I existed. And even if they did, how could they save me? How could they throw a rope into here? There's no way. I'm never going to be saved. I'm never going to hit bottom. I can't commit suicide even. I can't, I can't make it stop. I'm going to fall and burn in, in, in this eternity forever and ever and ever. And I knew that. And then all of a sudden I was screaming, God, please forgive me. I know that I know that you're real. I know you exist. Please forgive me and take me from this place. But I knew it would just, was not going to happen. I knew that. But then it just stopped. And I started going backwards, backwards, backwards through the tunnel again. And I, I came to a point where I knew I was going to enter back into life. And I was clinging to this feeling of being with God and wanting that so desperately. But knowing I was going to go back and I heard an audible voice say, bring people to me. And, and then I came back through this, some kind of pulling through the opening and I was in the operating room just screaming, and uh, God is real, God is real, and into uh, recovery. And so that was the experience I had, <laughs> and uh, it changed my life. I went into that surgery, a confirmed atheist, and I came out a, a Bible-believing, <laughs> thumping, on fire for God person, and have been for over 50 years, and I have never stopped one day of my life doing what I can do to bring people to the Lord, because that was what he asked me to do. And it's been my, my one thing. I think it's so fascinating that you kept being hit with opposites, right? With these horrible things and then wonderful things, and then back to horrible things. 
Can you talk about that contrast a little bit? Well, it, it was wonderful things. And then, then the horrible thing, and then being taken back away from that. I mean, can you even imagine how I felt coming out of that place? And after knowing that I would be there for eternity, I just, I, I tell, you know, so it's driven me, that has driven me for, like I say, over these 50 years, and anybody who knows me, I mean, I'm a normal person. You know, I say bad words when I miss a golf shot, just like anybody else <laughs> does, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a big drinker, but I have a glass of wine once in a while. You know, I'm a normal person then, but my life, 100%, any friend of mine, and I've got lots of friends, I'm a very friendly person, uh, knows what I stand for and who I am. And that's a complete believer. And I'm the one they usually call when something goes wrong or somebody dies or whatever, because that's the one hope they can cling to is that their loved one is, is there somewhere. And uh, I, I believe in my heart, I don't think God sends anybody to hell. First of all, I think the blame should go to where it belongs and that's either to us or, or evil. I believe that we do this to ourselves. That's the feeling I had. But um, I believe that God gives everybody this opportunity during the dying process to come to him. I don't believe I was special in any way or had, uh, I know I wasn't, but I believe that we all have this opportunity. There is true evil in this world. I think we see it every day. But we think to ourselves, even the worst person, would I want Charles Manson to go to hell? Not really. You know, not really. Does any human being deserve that that horror? But maybe so. I, I don't know. I'm not going to judge anybody. But uh, so I, I do believe that during the dying process, because some people have horrible lives like I did that turn them against God or horrible circumstances like losing a child or a husband or a wife or, or whatever. And, and they're angry. They're angry because they think God could have stopped this. God could have, but he can't. He would be going against everything that he stands for and the free will that he's given mankind. And I don't want to preach to you, but, <laughs> you know, I just want people to know that there is hope. I mean, you may have had a loved one that was not a believer, maybe blasphemed God as well. But during the dying process, change their minds real quick. So that's my my belief. That seems like the forgiveness came really quickly and really easily. Does that seem fair? Yeah. So, I mean, I was there long enough <laughs> to make a true believer out of me. But uh, uh, yes, yes, it did come quickly. The whole experience, I guess, maybe was pretty quick. I don't know. I don't know time-wise. <laughs> Let me ask you this, since you have children and, oh boy, can I ask you to put yourself in the shoes of God for a second? <laughs> Does that sound too <laughs> blasphemous or whatever? No, 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 um, no. I mean, you have children, if they had done something horrible to you, how quickly would you forgive them if they wanted to come back? and make their peace with you, with their mother. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, there is no time limit there. They know they could never do anything bad enough that, that would turn me away from them. And is that what you learned about God, doing the same thing? Well, yes and no, but if, 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 if knowing that 
forgiving my children would harm them, if knowing that forgiving my children would dis- would dispute who I was as God, then I couldn't. I couldn't. There's there's only a limit to how what what God can't go against His word. He can't go against what He is. And and uh, I know it breaks His heart. I know that He does everything in. <laughs> in creation to stop it is how would you give your son to die on a cross a horrible death that jesus christ did to save mankind you know i so i i think god has done all he can do and i would do all i could for my children for sure but if i knew it was going to harm them or war against the uh, creation i i i couldn't do that i couldn't do that no one could so how else did this experience change you? How, how did it change me? Yeah. I mean, you've given us kind of an idea. What, what else did it, did it do to help you be different, better, or anything else? I met peace. I met great peace. Even the world is a messed up place. And it's uh, um, not easy. It's not easy. Life is never easy. But I... It changed me in a lot of ways. One way was that I went to sleep one night. I had a dream about starting a business. I did. I had a high school education. I wanted to go to college, but my father said I wasn't college material and wouldn't help me, and and I didn't go to college. So I I and I was bounced from one school to another. So my knowledge and my intellect has been whatever I could absorb from books or self taught. I wasn't that brilliant person, but I went to bed, had this dream, and I started a business back in the 60s uh, of customer satisfaction. I was in the automotive industry uh, in my job, and I saw customers coming into the dealership that were good people, and I saw they were being mistreated or lied to or cheated, and I didn't like that. So I just started calling them up one day and saying, you know, how was your experience at XYZ Chevrolet. And did I get an earful? And we're talking the 60s, and car dealerships were a bad business at that time. They were, uh, you know, out to get what they could get any way they could get it. And, uh, but the owners were not necessarily like that. So I took this information to the owner of the car dealership and I said, you know, here's what your customers think about you. And he just went crazy. He made me a manager and did all this stuff, you know. And so I took what was happening there. And I thought, this is good for every car dealership. And this was all came to me in a dream, showed me how to do this, start this business. So I went out and started knocking on doors. I can make some phone calls for you and tell you what your customers think of you. And here's what customers from XYZ Chevrolet thought about them. And they, they just went crazy. They couldn't sign up fast enough. And this business grew so fast and we became very successful. Uh, all the money problems we had in the past all went away. And, and, and the business is still thriving today under my son. I, I walked away from it one day and took up golf. <laughs> but he has done a great job with it, became very wealthy himself through it. So God blessed us, I mean, in incredible ways. And uh, so, yes, I mean, I, I had that ability to, to do what I did then. I know that came from God. Like I say, I, I wasn't a well-educated person. But I was able to talk to very well-educated people on their level and, and, and make a success of myself. So um, 
And I, I had feelings for people that I never had before. I could talk to somebody that's in horrible pain and not shut. I don't get scared or I want to, I want to do what I can to say the word that maybe gives them some hope or maybe gives them some peace. And uh, so that, that desire inside of me to do that, that's why I do these podcasts or why I wrote my book and uh, was a hundred percent. No, I don't know if you've ever written a book, but no author makes money. Trust me, <laughs> you know, it's expensive to, to try to find editors and do all the things you have to do to make a book good. And, and if you're famous, maybe you might make a dollar or two, but it's not something you do. And people always think that, oh, you just want to sell books. Well, I don't. I don't care if you read it or not, but it will help you. So that ability has come about by the grace of God. So I have changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that very much. For for those people out there that are listening that haven't decided yet, oh, is there really an afterlife? Should I be afraid of death? What do you have to say to them? Well, is it safe to die? <laughs> yeah, you haven't really answered that yet. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, um, I don't know. I, I would say this. What have you got to lose? You know, I, I don't know. There's probably a lot of people that, like me, tried to believe in God and just couldn't. Couldn't find any answers that really made sense to them. And I understand that. But I'm not talking church. I'm talking relationship with God. If you could just say to God, I want to know you. I want to give my life to you. I want you to take over. I'm not doing such a good job here, or I'm frustrated, or I don't understand. Please help me, God, to, to know you and lay your life down and give it to him in a sincere way and just see what happens. I mean, what have you got to lose? <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I would encourage people to start searching for answers. And, and I, I want people to be careful because there's a lot of garbage going on out there that people believe in that, that will lead you in the wrong direction because you're not God. I mean, some people believe that we have that ability ourselves to become gods. And, and there's one God. There's one God. And, and God is, is, is spirit like we are. I mean, I, I felt my spirit leave my body through my near-death experience, I felt it come back. When I was at that point and I heard that voice, they bring people to me, I felt this the actual will to live, or call it a spirit, enter back into my body, a physical, actual thing. And then I went through waking up in, in the surgery room. So uh, we are I, we, I, we are human beings, yes, flesh and blood, but we also have a spirit who's really who we are. That's who we are. This, this, this body is going to turn to, to dust. We know that. Or many people have drowned or they, whatever way they have died. In that dying process, there comes a point where the spirit, you, you who you are, actually leaves your body. And that's some scientists have called it your consciousness, who you are, who you're, it's not your brain activity. They can actually prove, um, Dr. Bruce Grayson studied me for over 20 years. He's a scientist who just devoted his entire career to near-death experiences and, and has studied thousands and thousands of them. But there's an actual consciousness or belief 
or thing, person that comes out of you, that's you, your spirit, that's what lives on in eternity. Is there any other kind of experience that could have helped you believe in God versus what happened to you? Because not everybody's going to go through this. In fact, most people aren't. I hope not. (laughs) I mean, it was a great thing because I don't know why. I don't know why some go through this and others don't. I don't. But like I said, I do believe everybody goes through this during the dying process. I firmly believe that because God, the Bible says that God's no respecter of, of people. You know, what, he doesn't choose one over another. So if this experience was something that several of us have had and it leads us to God, uh, which in most cases it does, um, it's, we're not special. You know, why would we be chosen to have this happen? So my belief is it does happen to everybody during the dying process. Um, I think that does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, it does. Thank you. Um, going back to the your experience itself, you mentioned being in a tunnel. A lot of the time it was just dark. The times that it was not dark and that you felt like you were in a heavenly place. Do you remember seeing or hearing specifically anything or was this all just a feeling that came to you? Well, there was that loud noise that preceded every everything, yes. uh-huh. the three things. It was that horrendous noise. I, I, I liken it to a freight train, you know, standing right next to a freight train going by is what it's what I would say it sounded like. It was that loud. And so there was that noise. And what that represents, I I'm I've never been sure. The speculation of you know, my feeling maybe that God was just tearing that hatred and that anger and the garbage out of me through that that I don't know. Something was being something was being torn out of me, something was being pushed out of me in the in a way through that pulling through the middle of me, through my heart, just yeah. pulling that out. Interesting. And you did mention seeing four people that you didn't recognize. Yeah. And you've speculated who they are, maybe their ancestors or something, but you don't know. I don't know. I, I don't okay. know. I, I My son had died. I didn't see him, you know, uh, and I'm not sure that I would have wanted to because I would not have wanted to disrupt where he was. I wouldn't, you know, knowing where he is, knowing where he is. I mean, that, how could he see me? How could I see him and ever, ever live normally ever again? Um, so, yeah, um, so I didn't know these people. And uh, and a lot of other people do see other people, you know, loved ones that they've lost. But I know where he is. I know that my life here is a flash in the time of eternity. Now, you've had a lot of time to think about all of this, so I'm, I'm going to ask for what may be a little speculation on your part. But some people that have near-death experiences have a choice on whether they want to come back or not. It sounds like you didn't. You just were back in your body. Why, first of all, why do you think you didn't have a choice? And what do you think the choice might have been if you had one? Well, I definitely would have stayed. I definitely 100% because like I said earlier, I would have left my, my children, my husband to stay there. I knew that, that this was for eternity and that my life going back would be just a short time. I, I, my personal self wanted to stay, 
And my choice, I guess, would have been to stay because I knew that my husband and my other two sons would be okay. I was given that reassurance when I they were the first thing I saw as I went into this experience where they were standing down by the lamppost and they were crying. And that reassurance, they are going to be okay, came to me and, and was so strong. I, I knew they would be just fine. They would move on through life and be just fine. Uh, so, yes, I, I would have stayed. Can't remember what the first part of the question was. <laughs> oh, I, Well, the, why do you think you didn't have a choice? And I think maybe you've kind of explained that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I I, uh, I don't know. I, like they say the choice would have been to stay. But I don't remember any question or or that that was even God wanted me to bring people to him. It was just given to me that I was to go back and I was to try to bring people to him, which was like, oh, my gosh, when I did come to my senses, when I got out of the hospital, finally, because it was a long rehabilitation, I was very, very ill. Um, Anyway, I thought, how do you bring people to God? (laughs) What what am I going to do? You know, I was not... I was not brought up in a Christian home or a Buddhist home or whatever faith people have. I was not brought up in in, in religion or faith or anything else. So how am I going to bring people to God? I, you know, so I would tell them about my experience and I didn't bring anybody to God. I scared them half to death, you know, so it was like, I don't know how to do this. God help me, you know, but that, that morphed into to being able to comfortably let people know who I am first and then maybe telling them my experience or, or doing what I can do. So I learned over time what to do. <laughs> Have you found that people are more accepting and believing when you explain it to them now than many years ago when it first happened, when near-death experiences, I'm putting this in quotes as it's been termed, hadn't even been, you know, wasn't even a thing that people talked about didn't have that name yet. Right. Right. Yes. I, it was, uh, I remember my grandmother calling me up, uh, you know, cause I, I told everybody about it. It wasn't something that I hid for sure. And I had changed. I, you know, I, when I got well enough, I, I went to Catholic church, uh, which I'm not a Catholic now, but I went there. It was the only thing I had ever known from my mother Every single day, you know, they had a six o'clock mass. I was there at six o'clock in the morning, whether I was sometimes the only person in the church. And uh, and I, I, I uh, would pray. And, and, and then I started going to this evangelical church because I wanted to learn about God. And I didn't learn anything in the Catholic church. I mean, it was a structured thing. But and I could have soft feelings for God, but I didn't learn anything. So I started learning about the Bible and about Jesus Christ and all these things. I could not get enough. Well, before we wrap up, what's a message of hope you can give people that are listening today? How can you make their life better today? You have a choice in this life. I mean, we none of us get through this easily and we all die, you know, <laughs> and we all come to an end and, and it's a good thing to, to be prepared for that, to uh understand it to do the best you can and you can do that by simply praying by simply asking god to help you and and to become that believer and it's the process i mean it's not something sometimes the light bulb just comes on for people but other times it doesn't 
And so I would ask you or challenge you to take my words here today, just lay your life down, give it to the Lord and and just see what happens and try to follow that. I mean, you're going to see the light as well as I or anybody else if you would just lay down your human <laughs> objection to God and and wholly give yourself to him and just see what happens. I believe that he'll guide you as he did me. Thank you. I appreciate your words today. Thanks a lot, Kat. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Thank you again for listening. And just a gentle reminder about donating to the show at roundtripdeath.com. Until then, Merry Christmas, and I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.